For Stark Law and a kickback statute and the False Claims Act compliance, it is very important to monitor provider financial arrangements because the most likely event of an improper financial arrangement is while the financial arrangement is operationalized. In this episode, I will discuss some of the key operational issues that impact provider compensation arrangements. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado... I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade and I am your host. Well, today I'm going to be focusing on operational issues that impact compliance. And as Stark Integrity listeners know, a lot of the compliance issues relate to fair market value, commercial reasonableness, uh, the Stark Law and a kickback statute, and the False Claims Act. And frequently, I have clients who uh, will call me and engage me to put together a deal, a financial transaction with a referral source or a physician, and I I can do that, and we can usually get it right on the front end. So we've got a great contract. We meet all of the components of the Stark Law exception. We have commercial reasonableness documentation, and we have a solid fair market value defensibility analysis. And you think that you're home free. But from my perspective, uh, that's only probably about 10% of the overall financial arrangement from a compliance perspective, because we usually can get it right on the front end. And where compliance mishaps or concerns come into play is while the financial transaction is being operationalized. And as I was thinking about this episode, I think the common expression is that you can have a contract or a financial arrangement and everything's right until the air quotes, the wheels fall off the bus. And and I looked on the internet, there is this uh, website called the Urban Dictionary. And so I I researched what does it mean when the wheels fall off of a bus? And basically what it says under this Urban Dictionary in the internet, it says it's a situation where things get going so fast or are so bad that the entire operation, project, or relationships falls apart in a catastrophic manner. So using this bus analogy, let's assume that we have a physician financial arrangement and it is the bus. And the bus is perfect. We've got, uh, you know, the engine is operating correctly. We've got the four wheels and the four wheels are, are fastened with lug nuts onto the bus and everything's fine. And so we have approved of the physician financial arrangement. The contract is signed. And the key component for compliance is the monitoring 
of that financial arrangement to make sure that it's operationalized consistent with the contract, consistent with the fair market value and commercial reasonableness. So again, using this bus, bus analogy, uh, whenever I work with, with clients, I always ask the question, well, who is going to be the point person for this financial arrangement? Because there has to be somebody in charge of monitoring the physician financial arrangement to ensure compliance during the term of the operations. So in this episode, I'm going to go through some examples, and I'm going to point out some examples of where operationally the arrangement could fall into a non-compliant situation or the wheels falling off the bus. So the first one is a contract with a physician that the physician has multiple roles. This can be with a W-2 employee or a 1099 independent contractor. So let's assume that we've hired a physician. We'll use a W-2 employee, full-time physician. The physician is going to be providing clinical services, medical director services, happens to be a medical staff president. Uh, He is also going to be providing services for the quality committee. He's going to provide some services for uh, medical informatics as well as call. And you can see we're, we're layering many different roles on top of this one physician. And when I was in-house, a lot of times when we had these multiple roles for a single physician, people would say, well, I'm only responsible for one-third of this physician's overall function. And that, that could be right, but ultimately somebody has to be responsible for the 1.0 FTE. So if you have these like five different roles and they report to five different directors within the organization, then ultimately somebody will need to be accountable for that single physician and have the five different directors affirm and verify that the services were rendered consistent with the contract. So accountability, and I refer to this as either the bus driver or the mechanic, uh, that the, the bus driver needs to make sure that all components of the financial arrangement are consistent with the arrangement as approved so the wheels don't fall off the bus. The next area of focus would be for productivity compensation arrangements. Uh, productivity compensation arrangements are very common. Uh, like if we, the most common one is compensation per work RVU. And, you know, we could have a, a base salary set exactly right, a, a WRVU threshold after which production compensation could be linked correctly to the base compensation. And then you have a unit of compensation, the compensation per WRVU, let's say it's at the 50th percentile. All that lines up very well. But what happens if, let's say one year, the physician has 8,000 work RVUs and the next year the physician has 16,000 work RVUs? Obviously a substantial increase. So someone will need to be monitoring the volume of productivity to make sure the volume of productivity is consistent with the documentation, medical necessity for the services that are being rendered, and where appropriate, only are for work RVUs that are personally performed. And you also have to look at if the volume is too large, like I've seen some physicians have volume at twice the 90th percentile. Well, is that possible? Yes, it's possible, but someone will need to go through and validate that the productivity 
uh, is consistent with medical necessity and the services that are being rendered. So we just can't take the work our views at face value. Once you get to a certain threshold, and I would advocate that would be above the 90th percentile, then the bus driver, the person that's monitoring the financial arrangement, really will need to go through and validate that we feel comfortable that the services that are being billed, for which the WRVs are attached, are actually being performed, documented, and are medically necessary. And again, there's this theory, and I've said this before on Stark Integrity, there's this theory out there that Medicare assigns a certain time limit per code build. And so a lot of times you would take the Medicare assigned time and add up all of the work RVUs to try to determine whether or not the physician is actually performing, and again, I'm going to put this in air quotes, an impossible day. Uh, so that would be a day that's, you know, 20, 22, 24, 26 hours, you know, use, you know, based upon the Medicare calculation. Now, just caution about the Medicare calculation. That is just the Medicare estimate. A lot of physicians who are highly productive uh, can actually see a lot more patients than the, again, in air quotes, the average physician in that specialty. So I don't always just hang my hat on the Medicare calculation of the average time, but that's one indicator as to whether or not that puts the financial arrangement into a higher risk. So again, we can align everything correctly on the beginning of the contract, but through the operation of the contract, the volume could be suspect where additional diligence would need to be, or oversight would need to be employed in order to make sure that we are comfortable that the volume of work our views for which we're compensating are supportable. Next, and I have a few episodes on Stark Integrity on this with non-physician practitioners. Again, if you're under the employment exception, and if you have a productivity compensation arrangement, then the productivity can only be for personally performed services. So if you have non-physician practitioners that are in the mix, and there's a huge movement in the industry to have a lot more non-physician practitioners, you want to make sure in the instant two environment, and that would be the office setting, or the shared services, and that would be the inpatient and outpatient setting, that the physician is receiving credit only for the physician's personally performed services and is not receiving the credit for the non-physician practitioners. Now, again, I'm focusing here on the employment exception, and I've had episodes where I talk about where the physician can receive direct credit, and that would be through the group practice and the in-office ancillary services exception. Next, the, uh, the person who has oversight, again, the bus driver, will need to actually look at the time recording. So if you have an arrangement where the physician is supposed to be filling out some type of timesheet or time recording, you will need to make sure that the time that's being documented is consistent with the contract. So the services that the physician is documenting is consistent with the contract. Um, so let's say that we're hiring this physician to have oversight of the department and the physician is writing down that they're reading medical journals. Well, we didn't engage the physician to read medical journals. We just expect that the physician is going to do that on their own. And those that time should not come into the timesheets. And you want to make sure that there are correct hours that are being documented. Somebody in the organization needs to look at the hours that the physician is documenting and believe that there's a, there's a basis for those hours. And let me just flip that around. That means nobody in the organization would suspect 
that the physician is inflating their time based upon the services being documented. So uh, some suspect, and I've, I have an episode on Stark Integrity, I think it's called TikTok, where we go through the timesheet and, and some of the risks there. But if you have consistent hours every single month, so every single month the doctor is, is documenting 20 hours every single month, and every single day is the exact same thing, you may call into question the, the accuracy of those timesheets. So again, the bus driver needs to, to monitor the timesheets to make sure the wheels don't fall off the bus there. Next is real estate, and I have a few episodes on real estate, especially on timeshare arrangements. Uh, again, you can get it right on the front end, but you want to be careful for timeshare creep, meaning the physician is not using the space for greater time than's in the contract or using more space than is in the contract or using equipment or personnel that are not, not otherwise compensated through the timeshare contract. The next operational issue is quality. Uh, and, and so the physician can actually be documenting that services were rendered, and we believe that the documentation supports the code as billed. But if we have a lot of quality concerns, the government can take the view that those quality concerns uh, could make the claim submitted not be supportable. So quality issues could impact the work RVUs. So again, going back to this, you know, let's say we have 10,000 work RVUs, but we have quality concern, especially with 20% of the claims that are being submitted, then it's possible that through that compensation arrangement, we can only defend 8,000 work RVUs, not 10,000 work RVUs. So again, the bus driver needs to be monitoring the quality of the physician financial arrangement. The next area is stipends, and this is usually in the hospital setting, like for uh, anesthesiology, possibly um, ER or radiology, uh, where we're or hospitalists, where we're actually paying a stipend. So let's say that uh, we look at the collections of the physicians, we look at our need for the number of physicians, and based upon the collections, the group cannot collect enough in order to pay their physicians at fair market value. In that case, the hospital can provide a stipend or financial support, but it's supporting for the delta between the collections and what is deemed to be fair market value for the services. So here's the operational issue. You can start this uh, stipend arrangement, but periodically you're going to need to review whether or not that stipend can continue to be supported. Many times uh, I've I had clients that have these stipend arrangements and I ask them, well, why are we paying this physician group a million dollars a year in a stipend? They said, well, we started this 20 years ago and we just continued. Well, that's probably not a good answer because what we need to do is periodically evaluate whether or not the collections continue to support that million dollars that we're, that we're, that we're paying that uh, hospital-based group in a stipend arrangement. The next area is really the accuracy of the reporting of the work RVUs. Most contracts uh, with physicians would say that the physician will receive credit based upon the application of the Medicare modifiers. And so let's say that you have a surgeon that does multiple procedures. Well, let me just paint with a broad brush. You know, arguably then that if the surgeon does two procedures during the same surgical time, then the second procedure is valued at 
So the physician, again, painting with a broad brush, should not receive 100% credit for both surgeries unless you've factored that into the comp per work RVU. But most people don't factor that into the comp per work RVU, which means there would have to be a reduction understanding that there are multiple procedures that this, this physician will be um, uh, will be billing for. Or if the if there are two surgeons, then typically that modifier would only give the surgeon 62% of the physician fee schedule. Or if the, the surgeon is a surgeon assist, and not the primary surgeon, but a surgeon assist, then that surgeon assist will, through the modifier, will only get 16% of the, the physician fee schedule. So we have to take a look at the application of the modifiers as it relates to how we calculate the work RVUs. So again, the contract is probably fine. We have the WRVU thresholds, we have the comp per work RVU all aligned with respect to the benchmark data, but the work RVUs can be inflated if we do not take into account the application of the Medicare modifiers, because those modifiers will reduce the overall amount of the work RVUs. In, in this case, we will get into an overcompensated position, possibly, if we give full credit for those procedures and we do not take into account the application of the modifiers. And I have two more for, the, for this episode. The next one is just aligning the specialty. So if, we're, we are, if we are going to be using the benchmark data, you will need to make sure that the physician is providing primarily the specialty that is the primary specialty. So let me give you an example. Let's say that we have a physician who is a hematologist oncologist, and obviously that specialty is fairly highly compensated. Uh, but uh, the physician is performing 60% of their services as, you know, put in air quotes, an internal medicine physician. So they're splitting their time between the specialties, between the primary uh, you know, specialty is being hematology, oncology, but if they're doing a lot of internal medicine, then we cannot or should not give full credit to that physician as a hematologist, oncologist. We should be blending the benchmark data. So at the beginning, everybody may have thought that the physician is a hematologist, oncologist, so we should compensate the physician as such. But the bus driver needs to know what type of services are being rendered by that physician in order to assure that the primary or most of the services being rendered by that physician are for the higher paid specialty. And if they're not, then we need to use some type of blended benchmark data to account for the lower specialty services that the physician is providing. And the last area is just your typical overpayment or underpayment of a physician. Uh, so this is usually uh, an accounts payable or a payroll issue. And I've said before on Stark Integrity that you know, healthcare organizations like hospitals are great at turning on the magical money machine and paying physicians. But when the, the service ends, a lot of times the bus driver or the director does not report to accounts payable or payroll that the arrangement has ended. And in order to terminate the further compensation of that physician. So the you know, compensation can continue to be paid to that physician. And now we're in a, in a position where we have to chase the physician in order to receive money back. So the director or whoever is going to have oversight over this financial arrangement with the physician needs to monitor the accuracy of the payments being paid. They make sure that we're calculating everything correctly, consistent with the contract, 
consistent with the fair market value documentation that we set up at the commencement of the financial arrangement. And I can't tell you how many times I've been called by clients where this was the issue, that for some reason, uh, especially if you have a compensation arrangement that is too complicated, like you have a tiered compensation per work RVU and monitoring those tiers, like they're only receiving $50 up to the first 2,000 work RVUs, but 55 between 2,000 and 4,000 work RVUs, et cetera. In a tiered arrangement, someone will need to monitor the productivity and the compensation to make sure the compensation stays consistent with the contract and what was uh, validated based upon the fair market value. So now it's time in this episode for the three Captain Integrity Punch Points. Captain Integrity Punch Point number one is that everyone should understand organizations, especially if you're using a lawyer like me, uh, you can get the financial arrangement correct on the front end. Great contract, fair market value documentation, and commercial reasonableness. But the biggest source of compliance issues is through the operation of that contract. So you know, monitoring is very important. Captain Integrity Punch Point number two is a saying that I, I've heard from one compliance officer that I represent. And her mantra is that you can trust but verify. And so from a compliance or legal perspective, we can trust a physician, but there also needs to be a validation or verification of the accuracy of what the physician is reporting, whether or not it's on the timesheet or it's the work RVU. So it's, it's trust but verify and validate. And Captain Integrity Punch Point number three, know who your bus drivers are. Uh, so you need to know who is the designated person with oversight over that physician financial arrangement. And that individual needs to be accountable to ensure the compliance of that physician financial arrangement. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.